Welcome to the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Gomes. And I'm Anna Cash. Here, we come together to bring you a podcast all about preserving food safely, easily, and dare I say perfectly at home. We are master food preservers, moms, wives, and we love talking about canning. We've decided the world needs a podcast that shares up-to-date, modern, safe information about canning, dehydrating, freezing, freeze-drying, and more. We answer listener questions, teach beginner and intermediate techniques, and share our very best tips for preserving successfully. We'll show you how to find trusted recipes, sources, and more so you never have to second-guess your preserving practices again. Ready to can like a master preserver? Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to a new episode of the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm Jenny, and I'm here with my co-host, Anna. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about getting a cottage food license. And for this episode, I am going to be learning right along with you guys. Our amazing Anna has gone through the process of getting her cottage food license in Utah. And she's going to share with us what the heck a cottage food license is, the steps she went through to get to it. And she's probably going to have some uh, constructive criticism for the process. If anyone out there is listening (laughs) for how to make this process uh, better for those of us out here who would be interested in getting a cottage food license. So Anna, can you just start out by telling the listeners what the heck is a cottage food license? Yeah. So a cottage food license is the ability to make food in your home kitchen and sell it to the general public, not just from your doorstep, but this could be at like farmer's market, in stores, in boutiques, things like that. So here in my state, uh, they are pretty, I wouldn't say liberal, but you can sell quite a bit of food items straight from your doorstep to the consumer. And that's what I did for a really long time. People would just come up to my front door. I would leave, you know, whatever canned items that I was selling out there, whether it was jams and jellies, pickles, salsa, whatever. But I decided to take the next step of my food journey, if you will, Mm -hmm. and get my cottage food license. I had read a little bit about it and it just seemed so overwhelming that I just didn't do it for years. Okay, so what was your very first step in getting your cottage food license? Okay, so the first step of getting your cottage food license for me here in Utah was checking out the website and seeing what type of things you can make and can and sell because that may persuade you or dissuade you um, in getting your cottage license because it is quite uh, rigorous. So when I first read the items that you could sell your canned goods uh, through a cottage license, I was really disappointed because even though as a master food preserver, I was using, you know, tested recipes that some things were just not allowed. So let me give you an example. It has to be all high acid foods. Mm -hmm. So only jams, jellies, bottled fruit, and this does not include acidified foods. So Mm. pickles, tomato salsa that you may have added your additional acidifying agent to, those are not allowed or included. I couldn't do pickled beets or pickled veggies of any kind. No pickles? 
Yeah, it was pretty disappointing. <laughs> Wait, so you can't <laughs> you can't do pickles? Nope. I can only do high acid foods. So basically just fruit. Wow. And fruit products, right? Was there any uh, explanation on in the process as to why? Well, when I asked the agent that's over it, she said they're just too worried about it. If I'm being honest, they're mm-hmm. worried that people will not add the correct amount of acid to a recipe and then somebody will get botulism, mm-hmm. which is understandable. But I think with proper training, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be an issue. But, you know, they're going on the lowest common denominator, right? That's so interesting. So that was pretty disappointing. Yeah. So that's pretty disappointing. Keep telling us, what did you do after you reviewed this very short list of foods that you would be able to sell? Okay. So I decided to get my cottage food license anyway, because there's this backyard art market that I love being a part of. And my friend was like, you know, the health department is really cracking down. So make sure that you have your licenses, your food handler permit, all of that information, because we don't know if they're going to show up and check the vendors, which is something that happens in most cities, most towns, most Mm -hmm. farmers market is that you just don't know when or if the health department is going to show up. And if you don't have the proper identification, then they could possibly shut you down and, you know, take away your cottage food license. I see. So I decided to go through with this. This is two weeks before my event. Oh gosh. Which I would not recommend for anybody, but I was just like bound and determined to do it. I was like, I'm going to do it the right way. I'm just going to get my cottage license. So most of my recipes that I use are tested recipes that I've maybe added something to make it special, right? Like Mm -hmm. I might add an extract or a type of herb, something that doesn't change the pH, but makes it a little bit more special. So in my state, in Utah, you can add, I want to say it's 10 recipes to your initial registration where you fill out your paperwork, you have to submit your recipes, and then you also have to submit your labeling. Ah, Okay, so this is the part that that made me so crazy is that like you have to use your font has to be certain size lettering, it has to be in proportion to the label, certain things have to be in the upper quadrant, certain things have to be in the lower third, you know, and so just be prepared if you get your cottage food license that there will be a lot of back and forth between your agent. Mhm. Yeah, uh, there was, I want to say that in the first three days, I I talked to her seven times, just like, okay, now how about this? And she would have to print it out on like, I was using a two inch round uh, label for the mm-hmm. top of my mason jars. And she had to print it out every single time just to make sure that everything was good and great. <laughs> for heaven's sake. Yeah, it definitely depends on who your agent is and their patience level. She was like very short tempered. Once I had talked to her a few times, I realized that's just kind of like the way that she interacts and her personality. But at first I was really like, geez, lady, like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just asking the questions to try and get it right so that 
we can all move on with this process. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. That sounds so frustrating. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Yeah. So it really does depend on who who your agent is. And then did you get did you get to choose your agent or was she just like the lady that answered the phone when you called? So here in my state, we only have one. And so you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. <laughs> okay, got it. And that may be the same in your area. I'm not sure. Sure. After you got your label approved, what was the next step? Yeah. So after my labels were approved and my recipe was approved, the next step was that I had to get my food handler's permit, which is pretty simple. You can do it online. Really easy. Is it? What kind of things did they cover when you were getting your food handler's permit? Some of the things that they cover are like safe hand washing practices, storing your fruits and vegetables. I mean, for some of it, like it didn't pertain to me because I wasn't using meat or vegetables. It's only fruit, but it basically talks about hand washing, sanitizing your station, dishwashing, mm. having proper sanitization of your dishware and the items that you'll use for cooking the appropriate temperatures for food to be held at, whether that's heat or cold, the risks involved in food safety, uh, you know, like salmonella, all of those things. So I want to say it probably took me like two, three hours to complete it. it. It's really like a lot of videos. And then you take some quizzes. And that's not too hard. Okay, so then after I got my food handler's permit online, that was really easy. The next step was making an, an appointment to get my kitchen checked out. Because when you get your cottage food license, there are certain things that they look for that you have to show and demonstrate uh, before they can give mm. you your cottage food license. The first is that there shouldn't be any animals allowed near the kitchen area. So whether you put your animal in a crate or you have a, a doorway maybe that you close to your kitchen so that, you know, animals aren't available to go in. For me, I'm lucky we have this little Airbnb next to our house and that's what I use. And you have to be able to demonstrate that you can make a proper sanitizing solution that you either have a two-part sink or that you have a dishwasher that can heat up and sanitize your dishware. Mm. Another important aspect is that where applicable, you have to keep a lot of your dishware, your spoons, separate from your regular kitchen cutlery. Mm. So mm. I have mine in a little tote. They just want to make sure that there's not cross-contamination and also you know, it's not for everything because obviously I use my jam pot for my own personal jam, not just that, or, you know, maybe my KitchenAid I would use for other things. But as long as you can show that, you know, you're properly cleaning everything and sanitizing your countertops and you um, have shown that, then they then at that point will give you your cottage food license. And then there is an applicable fee here in Utah. It's not very, well, I don't feel like it's very expensive. It's $75 a year. Mm. And at that time, 
um, after you get your cottage food license, you can then expand and maybe add more recipes to your repertoire and send those in. Um, one thing that happened for me is that I submitted a recipe that was not a tested recipe, but I thought would be okay. And my agent was like, you know, I actually would feel more comfortable if you sent this into a lab to get the pH, uh, or sorry, not the pH tested, which you can have done, but the water activity tested, which was really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Oh, wow. Could you say just briefly what that is? What's the water activity? Yeah. So when you make any product really, Mm -hmm. but mostly like jams and jellies, the sugar and fruit and the water that comes out of the fruit, it all forms into a gel, right? Like you get a gel set point, but sometimes there's water that's left out, or maybe there's too much uh, fruit juice and it hasn't gelled all the way. The leftover excess water is what can host bacteria or, you know, have issues. I see. And so that's what they're testing in the food lab. I, mm-hmm. I believe that's correct. That's what I that's what I looked up and that's kind of the gist of it is like the leftover water from your product that's mm-hmm. in there but maybe not all tied up, quote I unquote see. is what they call it. So like when your sugar binds with your fruit, sometimes there's water that's that's um in excess. Sure. Because this um, this recipe was actually a rhubarb vanilla bean jelly. Mm-hmm. So in the recipe, when you cook it, you don't actually have any of the rhubarb pulp, which is a vegetable. Rhubarb is a vegetable. And so she was just really worried that it just had a low pH and also was worried about the water activity. So I decided to forego that. I want to say it was like $65 fee to get it tested, you bring the jelly down and mm-hmm. and send it into the lab. So you just opted to just not make that rhubarb vanilla bean, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I just I just was like I don't want to mess with it then. And there may come a point where I would want to do it, but sure. And now a quick word about our courses. Want to learn more about canning? Check out our video courses. Anna's beginner and advanced canning courses are available at smarthomecanning.com and Jenny teaches super fast steam canning at startcanning.com. Use the code POD25, that's P-O-D-25, to get 25% off those courses today. So then you've got your kitchen checked out, you have your recipes approved, then what happens? So then you're good to go. You print out your cottage food license, your food handlers. And I actually bring that with me in like a clear envelope to any events that I do, just in case people are like questioning or in case a health inspector shows up. But yeah, you're good to make as many, as many items as you want and market them. There are specific things you have to have on your label, like home produced, Mm. that type of thing, just to differentiate, you know. Sure. And now that you have this, tell us all the places you sell the jams and jellies that you make, the 10 recipes that are approved. Where do you sell them? Uh, Yeah. So I did that backyard yard sale is what Mm -hmm. it was called. And then I also did a holiday jam sale and I had a couple like stores reach out and ask if I want to make jams for their 
like one is a local artisan collective. The other is a bakery. The other one is a little bed and breakfast kind of by me. Oh, cute. And that's really something that I'm going to look at in 2023 is whether or not that's what I want to do. Because I don't know if I want to be tied to my stove, you know, making lots of mm-hmm. jams commercial or not commercially, but like, you know, just more than I have been in the past. Right. How long did it take for you to get your cottage food license from start to finish? Okay. So I really pushed and it took about four weeks. Oh my goodness. Four weeks. Maybe it was closer to like three, but it was definitely longer than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) It's longer than I wanted it to for sure. And what took so long? What, what took time? For me, what took the longest was the back and forth with the labeling. Mm -hmm. Ah, it was just so fiddly. If you could go back, what would you have done differently? I don't think, I don't think there's anything I could have done differently because I didn't know, but like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes on like government websites, the way that they Mm -hmm. word things or is kind of complicated. (laughs) And maybe not as straightforward or easy as it could be. So I just was like so confused with how the label should look. And then, you know, I would modify it and send it back. And it might take a couple days for her to get to it because she's the only one in the state. She's really busy. Mm. Um, There was just a lot of back and forth. I see. So now that you spent the time, the money and all your effort in getting this cottage food license, would you say that it has been worth it for you? I mean, absolutely. I would say it's definitely worth it for me just because it gives you that extra bit of qualification to sell at a farmer's market or sell in a store. I could sell things to a grocery store in Utah if I wanted to. Okay. So you could sell in a grocery store. Yeah. It just has to be a, in Utah. I can't sell across state lines, um, but I can sell in Utah. Okay, interesting. So do you have any advice for anyone seeking this type of licensure, either in Utah or in their own home state? I mean, I would recommend really looking at your business and deciding if it's for you. You know, if it's just one event a year that you maybe need a cottage license for, just decide if you, you know, if that makes financial sense for you. For me, it was only, you know, $75. And well, I guess that's not true. The the cottage license was 75. The food handlers was maybe like 15. It was pretty Mm -hmm. nominal. So those were the two costs. Mm -hmm. But I mean, at a market, you could sometimes I'll make upwards of, you know, $900. So like, that's not a ton of money in the grand scheme of things, but it's just something to think about. Have you ever thought about getting your cottage license, Jenny? So I was honestly afraid of figuring out how to do it because I live in California, which maybe every person feels this way about their home state, but I feel like California is notoriously bureaucratic and complicated processes. And I I felt I looked one time when you and I were talking about this, I thought, well, I should look into that. And I honestly didn't know which way to look 
on the website. And I feel like I am a strong reader, you know, like mm-hmm. I always think in these situations, I think, what do people do if they're not actually a super strong <laughs> reader? How do they figure this out? If I am a strong reader and cannot figure this out. Anyway, I have not looked into it for California. <laughs> I think you live in an area that just has a higher volume of people going to events like this, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing the boat. Maybe I could do well at an, an event like that, but that's incredible that you make you may, it obviously is worth your time and it's worth your time to, to go to these markets. That's amazing. And that being said, that was my holiday jam sale. Mm-hmm. I've, when I did the fall market, it was terrible weather. It was like oh. super windy, really rainy, really cold. And I want to say that I made maybe 500. Think about your, your best market where you made about 900 bucks, give or take. About how long did that take you? to can all that like a week's worth of afternoon canning or I want to say that's so that's really important data that I need to figure Mm -hmm. out going into this year Mm -hmm. to figure out pricing and to figure out if it's worth it for me Mm -hmm. the the stuff that I made for that holiday jam sale just last month in December was I want to say it was about two weeks worth of canning, but like really solid, maybe like 12 hours, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So a lot, it's a lot of, a, it's a lot of time. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and I think a lot of people think like, oh, it's, it's just a little jar of jam, but like, really it's, it's quite a bit of time if you. I mean, I only have one jam pot. I guess if I had two or three going, then, you know, you almost I could get would at real that crazy, point. That was but... another question I wanted to ask is could you have, with your cottage food license, have someone assist you? Or does that person need to be licensed also? That is a great question. I believe, actually, I don't know the answer to that. I was going to say, I think as long as they have their food handlers permit, mm-hmm. then they should be good to go, but I don't. I don't know that for sure. Uh-huh. I would guess that would be the case also. That's so like, for question. example, let's pretend that I came to your house and we canned out in your cute short-term rental. I would need to have my food handler cert for that to be legal, I guess, for those items to be sold, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You would want to You would want to have your food handlers for sure. Got it. Yeah. So what you're doing really is certifying your kitchen and your certified recipes and then you know whoever is making the stuff you are you have your food handlers i gotcha uh that is so interesting and thank you for sharing your personal uh information about you know how how successful the the markets have been for you and just the process of getting your cottage food license i feel like that's just such something that a lot of people sort of daydream about especially people who love preserving, like, I wonder if I could sell this sauerkraut. I wonder if I could sell this, you know, whatever they make. And um, I mean, you can, you just got to go through the proper um, licensure, which I would assume Utah would be easier than some states, but I might be wrong. It might be just as difficult everywhere. I think other states, like, I feel like Utah is, is like less lenient. I feel like they're more strict because I'm not able to do with a cottage food license. I'm not able to do acidified foods and I'm not able to do like sauerkrauts. Oh, that's so interesting. (laughs) 
fascinating. I guess yeah. that's a whole other episode to talk about, like, should it be that way? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but now at least we have you have shared with our listeners how to go through this process and that it was totally worth it for you. That's amazing. Do you have anything else you wanted to add, Anna? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's good if you're if you have questions about a cottage food license, maybe ask the people at your that are at your local farmers market, maybe in even the niche that you want to be in, right? Like I asked a couple of people that were in that I saw their canned goods. I asked mm-hmm. for their advice before I got my cottage food license. Great advice. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for everyone for listening. It's been another great episode of the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. We'll see you next week with a new episode. Bye, guys. That's our show. We don't want you to miss an episode, so please be sure to subscribe. If you found this episode helpful and informative, please give our show a rating and review. It only takes a few seconds, and it really helps our show grow. Follow us on social media at Smart Home Canning and at The Domestic Wildflower. Email your preserving questions to perfectlypreservedpodcast at gmail.com, and we will do our best to answer your questions on the show. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode released every week.